And if you're new here, a special welcome to you. It's, uh, it's great that you would uh, join us with us today, and I hope you'll feel most welcome. Uh, we are encouraging people to uh, read some good quality books uh, by having uh, the book of the month. And if you go straight downstairs and go to the lounge there where you can get tea and coffee after the service, you'll also see in the back uh, a little uh, room of materials. And, and the book of the month this month is A Place of Healing, a book by Johnny Erickson Tarder. Uh, there is perhaps no tougher subject than the issue of suffering and pain and how that fits in with a, a God of love. And, um, you know, if God can heal, why won't he heal? Why isn't he healing? These are huge, deep, and profound uh, questions that we will all wrestle with. And I want to commend this particular book as well worth reading. Um, And because it's written by someone who's experienced profound suffering. Many are familiar with uh, Joni's story, how as a young teenager. She had a diving accident. It rent her as a quadriplegic. And she has suffered in a wheelchair for many years, but also in recent years, she's also struggled with cancer. Recently, too, she struggled with great pain that the doctors can't seem to deal with. And so she writes out of a profound experience of wrestling with suffering. And the subtitle is Wrestling with the Mysteries of Suffering, Pain, and God's sovereignty. It is full of God's truth. It is rich and nourishing. And I would heartily commend this book as something to read and then pass on to others. So you can find that in the bookshop. I'm sure it's going to sell out pretty quick. Well, let's pray, shall we? As we come to God's word. Father, we have sang of our joy that you are king and we come to you aware of uh, of living in a world where there is yet much injustice and suffering and pain and we turn to you that we may understand who you are and that we may live our lives out in response to how you've revealed yourself to us through your words. Father, please fill us all with your Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our minds, that we would have understanding of your word, that you'd fill us with your spirit so that we would also uh, have faith to believe your word and courage to act. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, I wonder whether we can put the PowerPoint up there. Uh, At the start of the year, we began this year with this motto card, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That's our verse for the year. And interspersed between series, we are working through the book of Psalms, which is a great resource for us to help us have words to pray in the various challenges and struggles of our life. And this morning we come to Psalm 7. And I wonder, as before we come to this psalm and read it together, have you ever had the experience of being slandered? Have you been somebody who's been falsely accused? It seems to be somewhat of an occupational hazard for teachers. 
Um, in October last year, there was a study done of 8,000 teachers. And a staggering a third of them said that they had received hugely damaging false allegations made of them. And that same survey said that 99% of teachers feared having false allegations made against them. That's, that's a terrible thing, isn't it? So thank you, teachers, for being brave enough to get up and teach in those circumstances. But it's not just teachers who face this as an occupational hazard. Certainly in the last year, I can think of four uh, people that I know who are pastors who have also faced um, slanderous allegations. And these things cause terrible heartache, uh, terrible pain when they come against you. Or we could think too on a global scale, and, and right now there are terrible problems in Islamic countries where it seems in order to attack Christians, a, a, a false claim is made that people have been blaspheming against the prophet or blaspheming against the Quran. And uh, even just a, a few days ago, I think on August the 17th, a little girl called uh, Rimsha, I believe her name is, in Pakistan, in Islamabad, She's an 11-year-old girl. She has learning difficulties because of Down syndrome, and uh, she uh, belongs to a Christian family. And allegations were made that she intentionally burned the pages of the Quran. And she is currently uh, being under arrest. Um, mobs of uh, militant Islam, Islamic people, uh, threatened to burn down the houses uh, of the community in which Rimsha lived. And the blasphemy laws against Pakistan are causing, I would say, a, a, a terrible record against Pakistan. Many are seeking to campaign that they should change these awful blasphemy laws, which just seem to be cruelly misused to punish uh, the Christian minorities within Pakistan. What should you do as a Christian when you've been slandered? When it's you that's being accused, and falsely so. What should you do? Well, please open your Bibles to uh, Psalm 7. And you'll find that's on page 545 in the church Bibles. 545 in these uh, red uh, church Bibles that should be around you somewhere. Psalm 7. A Shagayan of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. O Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Or they will tear me like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. O Lord my God, if I have done this, and there is guilt on my hands. If I have done evil to him who is at peace with me, or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. 
Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather round you. Rule over them from on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. O righteous God, who searches minds and hearts, bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who expresses his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Well, keep your Bibles open and let's examine this uh, psalm together. David is, uh, is writing this song uh, in response to the experience of, of having been slandered. Uh, the little writing on the top of the psalm is part of the original manuscripts. Um, we have no real clue what a shagayon is. It probably is a, a musical term. There was a sort of maybe a recognized uh, musical form that people knew what to sing this song to. Uh, but it is written by David, and it's something he sang to the Lord concerning Cush. Well, some translations actually fill that out a little bit more, uh, like the English Standard Version that says, concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. Uh, as you read through the rest of the Bible, you don't really know much more about this chap called Cush, but it's significant that it points out that he's a Benjamite. Uh, the king before David, the first king of Israel, was Saul, who was from the tribe of Benjamin. And no doubt many people from the tribe of Benjamin had great pride that the, the first king came from their tribe. And uh, many of them perhaps were none too pleased when uh, Saul uh, was uh, marked as the man to be replaced and this man, David, was anointed supposedly by God, you can imagine them thinking, to replace their king. And certainly as you read the, the accounts of, uh, of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you'll see that, that David spent quite a bit of his life on the run from Saul, who was king. David was always loyal to Saul as king. He never sought to take that throne from the king, and yet he was... Uh, persecuted by Saul, spent a lot of his time running and fleeing for his life. And perhaps it's during that time period that Cush, the Benjamite, uh, uttered words uh, to, to Saul to feed his paranoia about David. And perhaps the psalm, we don't know for sure, perhaps the psalm comes out of 
that experience. But for David, he, he knows that he's been slandered and he feels like he's, he's just a hunted man. Uh, look at uh, verse 1. Uh, Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Uh, the language in the original has that sense of just being uh, hunted down. Uh, David knows that these opponents are out to get him. And when they get hold of him, it's going to be ugly. Uh, they want to rip him into bloody pieces, a bit like a lion pouncing on his prey and just ripping it to shreds. And David knows that that's what's going on. And that's the sort of the context in which he's writing. He has he is been slandered. They're out to get him. Now, I don't know whether you've ever experienced something like that. I hope you've never experienced something to that horrible extent where you felt that people physically were going to rip you to shreds. Probably none of us have had that. But maybe you have experienced being unjustly accused of things. The word getting out about your character or something that you've done, something that's been misconstrued. And if you've been on the receiving end of that, you just know how awful that feels. It's the sort of thing that just can keep you awake at night. And, and how, how do we respond when people come and attack us verbally? Well, the tendency really is to begin to go on the offensive, isn't it? It is to take revenge and say, well, let me tell you a few choice things about them. To go on the attack. When you notice with me that, that David does not take revenge, he takes refuge in God. Verse 1, O Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. David uh, knows that God has made him some very precious promises. That David is in a relationship with God. God has declared that he would be king. And he uh, doesn't try to grab things into his own hands. He doesn't try and go back to attack and beat these folk, although David was a muscular man with armies of his own that could have done that. No, instead, he takes refuge in God. And notice that he is completely clear in his conscience. Uh, verses 3 to 5. Would you have said these words if you were guilty of the accusation? Oh Lord my God, if I have done this, uh, this thing accused by Cush, uh, and there's guilt on my hands, if I've done evil to him who's at peace with me, or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me, God. Let them trample my life to the ground, make me sleep in the dust. Now, when it comes to this specific uh, charge against David, he has a completely clean conscience. He knows that he hasn't done these things claimed of him. And so he takes refuge in God. Now, why does he take refuge in God? Well, because he knows something about the character of God. There's a couple of things I want us to reflect on this morning about the character of God. The first thing here is that he knows that God is a righteous judge. He's a righteous judge. That's what we've got going on in verses uh, 6 to 11. Look at verse 11. It is a very striking verse. God is a righteous judge. A God who expresses his wrath. Every day. 
Maybe you're unfamiliar with the Bible. You don't know too much about God. Well, here's something that the Bible tells us about God. God is a righteous judge who expresses his wrath every day. Now, as we read that words, we need to sort of correct some misunderstandings that may jump into our mind. You know, uh, we're not saying that God is a cranky God. He's not like uh, some of us, parents, who basically get angry with our kids, not over issues of righteousness or unrighteousness, but because they're just ticking us off. They're interfering with our personal contentment and happiness, and so we get angry at our kids because they're just inconvenient. No, God is not a God like that. But He is a God who is constantly angry at injustice. God hates injustice. When uh, people are being ripped off, when the innocent are being made to suffer, God is angry. He expresses his anger every day. It is, it is constant. Our anger is fleeting, isn't it? We get angry at stuff and it can subside pretty quickly. Some of us are very skilled at nursing it for a long time, I've noticed. But others, most of it just tends to go. God is, is angry every day. Part of the problem with us is in our judgments of people is that we, uh, we so easily can just get part of the information and misunderstand. But this is not true of God. Did we see that in verse 9? O righteous God who searches minds and hearts. This is a God who sees into everything. Not just the outward acts, but he knows exactly the inward uh, reasons in our hearts behind it. He knows the way that we were thinking when we said those words, when we did those actions. He's a righteous God who searches minds and hearts. What's your response to knowing this truth about God? Is this a positive thing or a negative thing? Well, you, do, do you see, for David, it is a tremendously positive thing, right? Because he knows that he is completely innocent of these charges that are against him. And he knows that God is a completely righteous God who hates all wrongdoing, who always stands for what is true and right. He knows this about God. And so uh, he, is a, he, he, is, he is saying, I want my day in court. And, and uh, it's a civil courtroom and he's the plaintiff. And the people in the dock are those making these slanderous allegations. And so he says um, in verse 6, he, he is begging God to to start the court case. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Let the assembled peoples gather around you. Rule over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. It's almost as if David feels that, the, that God as judge is spending too much time in his, um, in his chambers. And he's sort of knocking on the door saying, God, would you just come out and deal with this issue, please? Uh, judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Now, as we read that, it is not to say that David thinks that he's uh, perfectly sinless and spotless. Well, we, we know that's not true. 
But in this specific matter, he knows he's completely in the right. And so he's begging for God to act in justice. And if that seems strange to you, and maybe shocking, I can only imagine that's because you've never been slandered. It is because perhaps we live in a country where, by and large, we have righteous judges and a a good law court system, if you can pay for it. But if you lived in Pakistan, and you're the parents of this little 11-year-old girl, this psalm makes perfect sense. Uh, In fact, it, it is the only way that you have the capacity of responding in many ways. Oh Lord, bring justice. Vindicate us. Second thing that David knows about God in verses 12 to 17 is that he can take refuge in this God because not only is he a righteous judge, but he will execute justice. And um, verses 12 to 13 picture God as kind of the ultimate terminator. Um, God is uh, sharpening his sword, the sword of justice. He's sharpening it. Uh, God has his bow and he's checking that it's working. He's bending the bow. He's stringing his bow. He's preparing his his deadly weapons. He has flaming arrows in his bow. And I guess if David was uh, writing in the 21st century, he'd maybe be talking about the checking the red laser dot on the sight of his gun. And, and that red laser dot is on the forehead of the slanderer. God is portrayed here as one who's able to execute justice. And not only is he the ultimate terminator, but David just reflects in verses 14 to 16 how empty is the result of those who pursue evil. It's just an empty, fruitless outcome for those who conceive of evil. Look at verse 14. He who is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. Believe it or not, we live in a moral universe. And the outcome of those who are in wickedness pursuing their wrongdoing, uh, they, they think they'll do it because it'll be satisfying. It's going to achieve some outcomes. Well, David reflects on the fact that it doesn't produce those outcomes. It only produces disillusionment. I went to see a play at the Fringe, which was reflecting on uh, misanthropy, hatred between people. And and what that play um, portrayed was the ultimate emptiness of those who seek to take out justice on their own uh, weak understanding of what's right and wrong. Think about the tragedy of Lance Armstrong right now. A man, in a sense, who seemingly achieved so much. And yet it's all been 
or will be stripped from him as it seems he will no longer contest the charges that he's uh, using drugs. Think of that, your whole life work and effort. You wanted it so badly that you're willing to take banned substances and then it gets fined out and it's all empty. But more than that, David reflects on the fact that God's justice is sometimes seen in the way that um, those who plan trouble, it can often come back on them. Look at verse 15. He who digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit he has made. The trouble he causes recoils on himself. His violence comes down on his own head. It's as if trouble's like a boomerang that just comes around and hits you on the back of the head. If you want a brilliant account of this being worked out, just spend some time this afternoon reading the book of Esther. I love, I love it in my Bible rooms when I get to Esther. It's just a great story. A beautiful babe uh, saves a whole people. And you've got this evil man, uh, Haman, who plans to destroy all the Jewish people. And uh, he even builds his gallows. He concocts his plan. It's all working brilliantly, except behind the scenes. God is working out events where all of that will come right back on him. He'll, he, ended, he wanted those gallows. He wanted to hang Mordecai. But in fact, he will be hung on it by the end. The trouble just comes around and hits him. See, David, as he is slandered, as he feels hunted down, he sings this song of praise that reminds him to take refuge in this God, the God who is a righteous judge, the God who executes justice. Now, what do you make of that? It is very comforting for the innocent, isn't it? And it's quite chilling for the guilty. I wonder how do you... How do you feel about this psalm? I don't know if you are engaged in slandering someone right now. If you are participating in some uh, vendetta against someone. Actually in your heart there is malice and you are seeking to bring someone down. Then verse 11 should be a great warning to you today. God is a righteous judge. A God who expresses his wrath every day. And if you're someone here today and that's exactly what's in your heart, I want to say be warned. Uh, There is a fiery arrow in God's bow and the, the string is stretched all the way back and it is pointing right at your heart. And all God has to do is release his fingers and justice will be meted out. We should be warned if we're engaged in slandering. Now, I don't know how it makes you feel about that. I have to say, it makes me tremble. Yes, it may be that in a specific situation, uh, I have not slandered a, a particular person, but have I never been one who's passed on that little bit of gossip? Have I never been one who has thought those malicious thoughts? Have I never been one who has been guilty of sinning with my speech? I'm, I'm guilty of that. And we should be warned. See, God is 
a righteous judge. He will mete out justice. Is there any hope for those who feel that they have sinned in their speech? Well, I want you to see, even within this psalm, there is, there is hope. And it's in a little phrase there in uh, verse 12. Look at verse 12. If he does not relent, God will sharpen his sword. Or you could translate that word relent this way. If he does not repent, God will sharpen his sword. See, David's warning is to those who refuse to repent of their slandering. God's warning for those who are continue to pursue this vendetta maliciously against others. If you don't repent of that, then God's justice will, will be coming at you. But there's the hope. There's hope for those who repent. Do you see that? Because David knows this about God, that God is also a God of great mercy. If we will repent of our sins of speech, God can show mercy. The fiery arrow can be blown out. The string can be, tension can be released. The, the sword is put away if we repent. Now, David doesn't really spell it out particularly in this psalm or even how on earth God can do this. So uh, let me just show you from the New Testament how he can do this. So keep your finger in Psalm 7 and turn with me to uh, Romans chapter 3. And you'll find this on page 1131. 1,131. Uh, just notice, actually, earlier in the chapter, over on the other page, at um, this description of the human anatomy uh, 3 verse 12, all have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Well, this is, this is a statement in the Bible's account of our human condition. Well, what hope is there? We'll look over uh, to verse 23. Uh, there is no difference for all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Here's the hope. And are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. How, how, could, how could God show mercy to the slanderer in David's day if he repented? Well, because he knew there was a day coming when he would send another in the line of David, Jesus Christ. And Jesus purposefully came into this world to die upon a cross. He who was always perfect in his speech, he died on a cross in the place of those who are uh, full of bitter slander in their speech, are sinful in their speech. 
so that he would pay the penalty for their sin. So that sinners could be forgiven. And so that God would be able, verse 26, to demonstrate his justice so that at the same time he would be the one who justifies and who is just. He justifies those who have faith in Jesus. This is how God can forgive slandering sinners because he sends his perfect son who dies in the place of slandering sinners. And if you put your trust in Jesus, then his righteousness is counted as ours. We need to take refuge in the righteousness of God by trusting Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you, if you're engaging in slandering, or if you're someone who's feeling conviction as a slanderer, be warned, this is true of God, but there's hope. Run to Jesus Christ. Find refuge in his righteousness. For that is how we can receive mercy and forgiveness. Well, maybe today you are somebody who's experiencing being slandered. And I want to say to you today that you should be secure if you're trusting Christ because of verse 11. God is a righteous judge. A God who expresses his wrath every day. If you seek to vindicate yourself, the more you profess your innocence, the more people think you're guilty, don't they? This is the awful thing about slander. But you know what? If you are innocent of the charges against you, be secure in this. God is a righteous judge, a God who is well able to express his wrath every day. Trust the vindication of God. Pray for those who slander you that they would yet repent. But know this, if they do not repent... Justice will be meted out against them. And do you know what? If you are just struggling with um, sleepless nights, then this is a great psalm to look up in the middle of the night. It starts full of anxiety in verse 1, doesn't it? The feeling of being hunted down by a ravenous lion, the pain of that. But by the end of it, where does he finish off? He finishes off with praise and thanksgiving as he reflects on the character of his God. A God who is a righteous judge, who expresses justice. Verse 17, I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. And I'll sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Know this if you've been slandered that the Lord Jesus was slandered. Uh, just come with me to First Peter, and you'll find this on page 1219. Peter, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, says this most stunning thing about his friend, Uh, Verse 22 of 1 Peter 2, verse 22, left-hand column. 
He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. So he was totally righteous. What did they do to Jesus? Verse 23, when they hurled their insults at him, they insulted Jesus, they slandered Jesus. How did he respond? He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, Psalm 7 is ultimately found in the lips of Jesus, who entrusts himself to him who judges justly. He's your example. He has gone before you. Do not be fearful. Be secure in the just judge, your God. Well, how are you going to respond to this today? Well, I wonder whether for some there might need to be some special repentance today, some particular repentance. Is there someone that you need to contact and apologize for the things that you said about them? Do you need to repent before God and put things right with those that you've sought to hurt? There really should be no place in Christ's church for maliciousness and gossip and slander. And it is the most grievous thing if it is ever present. Heed the warning of Psalm 7. Respond today, particularly if that is true of you in any way. And I say to you, if you're the victim of it, claim this psalm. Look at verse 10. He, who's your shield? Your shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. How wonderful. Let's pray.